0: Welcome to Mon the Workers, a podcast from the Scottish Trades Union Congress. I'm Carina
1: Liptrot. And I'm Ewan McLaren. And today we are discussing UK Disability History Month, which has been running from the 18th of November. We'll wrap up on December 18th. Today's episode will have a specific focus on invisible disabilities, which isn't itself a new topic by any means, but a topic that doesn't always get the attention it deserves.
0: Yeah, I think you're right in saying that it doesn't get as much attention as it should. I was doing some research and was shocked to find out that one in five people in the UK have a disability with 80% of those being considered as invisible disabilities. And it can affect people in different ways and it's painful, debilitating and isolating. One of my friends has MS and constantly gets dirty looks from strangers in car parks for using her blue badge. And people just assume she's not disabled and chancing it.
1: Yeah, I, I think when people make assumptions like that, it can really make living with a hidden disability much more difficult. And of course, like, it was like I was saying that invisible disabilities deserve as much empathy and credibility that visible disabilities get. Um, but on that note, let's introduce our guests for today.
0: Today, we're joined by Tony Slavin, who is a Unison convener and is vice chair of the SDUC Disabled Workers Committee. Tony lives in Glasgow with his wife and a support animal, two-year-old Black Lab Freddie. Hi, Tony. Thanks so much for being here today.
1: Very
2: welcome. It's a pleasure.
1: And joining Tony is Helen Auld, who is Scotland vice president of the NASUWT and is a retired English teacher who continues to work as a supply teacher. Helen moved a motion on Long Covid at the recent STUC Disabled Workers Committee conference. Hi Helen, thanks so much for joining us today.
3: You're very welcome, thank you for asking me. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: To give some context for our listeners who may not know what invisible or hidden disabilities are, can you explain what hidden disabilities mean to you, Tony?
2: Yeah, hidden disabilities are impairments that aren't immediately obvious. The majority of disabled people have hidden disabilities, and only a relatively small number have visible impairments. For example, wheelchair users and people with guide dogs. Research says that 43% of the British public say they didn't know someone that was disabled yeah, one or five people of the working age had a disability uh, within the Equality Act 2010. Therefore, this shows that there is a disconnect between the perception and reality. and shows that the public still overwhelmingly associate disability with those conditions that can be identified from sight alone. And this creates problems for disabled people in the workplace as those misconceptions and attitudes can be used as an excuse not to provide reasonable adjustments and not being believed, receiving the general lack of support, and even experiencing uh, hostility from others.
3: Tony, that was so powerful. Are you sure you weren't talking about me? <laughs> well, I have a sort of diverse hidden disabilities. I I thought of this question in context of myself and one or two other people that I know, right? Um, And bearing in mind that many hidden disabilities have an impact on energy levels, causing fatigue and pain management issues. And people think you're kidding on, you're at it, right? I mean, I I really have three hidden disabilities. But I've suffered from anxiety and depression. I'm type two diabetic and I have partial hearing loss. It's a huge relief to me to discover that the issues I've had, which have had an enormous impact on my life and on my achievements are now regarded as a disability. My nightmare was a staff meeting in a big hall because they wouldn't use the microphone. I couldn't make out what they were saying and eventually one day I plucked up the courage to say, could we have the microphone, please? Oh, we don't need the microphone, Mrs. Alder, if you can't hear, just to come and sit down at the front. Now, this is in front of the whole room, and everyone who knows me knows I'm a confident, able, dynamic person. I was affronted, totally, affronted. I felt bad about it for months. It's just intolerance, inconsideration, and ignorance.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I have a, I have, a, I have a few stories like that. I mean, if you're talking about uh, the way the general public, uh, people in your own family can still feel like that. I have a blue badge and, and, and I was used to drive into, Asa, into the, the, the parking bays for disabled people. I would get out and my wee girl who was a teenager at the time was saying, Dad, can you know limp or something like that? So there you go. There are people in your own family not really understanding. So when people had long COVID and everything, I could relate to that. I've had cancer three times, three different times. And I've had chemotherapy three different times. And it's the chemotherapy that has done this to my system, which, which is a, 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 a big thing. I can walk 50 yards at a push and then I need help. I have to get up at 7 o'clock so I can take tablets so I can get into the shower at 8 o'clock. That is how bad it is. People don't see this. It takes me hours to get ready. People don't see that. The time I present myself and walk out the door, it has taken me at least two hours to to be able to do that. The the thing you were talking about where your colleagues and work pressures happen, that is right. And I, I remember that if I had to go and get chemotherapy every second Tuesday for 20 Tuesdays or something like that. Now, we didn't have a disability disability absence policy in the work of work the local authority. So I had to ask my manager, and he would grant me special leave to go away and get my chemotherapy. Now, that's fine, but I've had to ask him 20 times, can I have special leave to go and get my chemotherapy? He always says yes, but I'm a human being as well. So if my wee lassie slips and skins on me, I need special leave to run away and get her. Now, I have already asked my manager 20 times for special leave to chemotherapy. I feel guilty and ashamed to ask him for special leave as any other employee would be able to do so. So I am being made feel guilty because of my disability. That, to me, is a no-no.
1: I think a lot of the a lot of the kind of unseen examples that you you've given there that are it, it really speaks to why this is something that needs more awareness, but not just awareness and understanding, it needs change, and things need to change, and perceptions need to change, and tangible things need to actually change in workplaces but I wanted to pick up on something that you that you've spoken about um, that you touched on Helen or just around mental health Uh, often as we know obviously if an individual has mental health issues it might not be immediately apparent to an outsider are you able to kind of comment on the connection between mental health issues and hidden disabilities um, at all?
3: Uh Ah, so many of my colleagues just did not recognize that And one of the most important things about anything in life, anything going wrong for anyone, I firmly believe there are no degrees of worseness. You know, if something's bad for someone, it's bad for them, right? And I wasn't coping mentally a number of times throughout my career. And I would just have to go off sick because I just, you know, I wasn't sleeping. I was up half the night. I was trying to work. I was achieving nothing. And eventually when when I went off, now I lived and worked in the town where I taught. Okay, if I was seen out and about now part of your therapy for mental health is meet yourself go out go and meet someone. It would be the talk of the place because there's nothing wrong with her. yeah, there would be parents complaining because I was off because there's nothing wrong with her. There would be colleagues um the people just don't understand it is a bit better nowadays, you know marginally, but very, very good friends did not have the education or empathy to understand what was happening to me.
1: I think um, just on a kind of similar vein, and Tony, I wondered if you might have anything to add into this, but similar principle and similar way of thinking for neurodivergency, which seems to be kind of breaking into the public consciousness a little bit more, finally. Are you able to speak a little bit about neurodivergency in the context of hidden disabilities, Tony?
2: Yeah, neurodiversity is a view that um, there are neurological differences in how people process information. In other words, all our brains are wired differently. Our society, schools and workplaces only accommodate people whose brain is wired in a particular way, and they're referred to as neurotypical, um, which disadvantages um, those those others. People who are neurodiverse have a full intellectual capacity and we need to realize that a full intellectual capacity, neurodiversity would be classed as a hidden disability. This comes back to the social model of disability that observes that people are disabled by barriers, including negative attitudes, the design of our buildings, but even our workplace policies and processes
1: mm-hmm. I think a lot of people don 't a lot of people don 't see neurodivergency for what, for what it is as well, which can often be a strength.
2: I think what what we need to do, Ewan, is is educate people so that they have a full underst- so that they have a full understanding of disability. Uh, moving away from the historical stereotypes, we also need to challenge poor behaviour, policies and legislation that reinforces the uh, historical stereotypes, the myths and assumptions that disabled people are um, people with guide dogs or wheelchair users. That is only 10%. It's only 10% of people with disabilities. The rest of the people have hidden disabilities. And the workplace that also will include challenging colleagues, managers, and even our own union reps to be aware of the unconscious bias that they bring to their roles and, and make sure that policies, procedures, and conduct mitigate against the potential to be discriminatory.
0: I'm glad you brought up discrimination because I was going to ask where does the law stand with discrimination against invisible disabilities and the Equality Act 2010?
2: 90% of people have a disability, yet in our workplace people with physical disability are more likely to be employed than those with a hidden disability or an invisible disability. Two in every three disabled workers have a potential disability. See if a disability is visible or hidden or, or disabled people are covered by the Equality Act. Just to answer this um, question, uh, if, they're, if they're subject to, to discriminatory behaviours in the workplace arising from their disability, then it's disability discrimination. The Code of Conduct and the Dignite Work Policies that you'll have in your workplaces set out mm-hmm. the expected standards and behaviour, and that will mitigate against the potential for disciplinary behaviour without someone having to openly declare that they have a disability.
1: On the topic of kind of taking action, and I know this question is a bit of a biggie, so I'm not expecting us to go through all the answers and solutions today, but I feel like it quite naturally moves on from what you were just discussing there, Tony. For our listeners, how can they support individuals with hidden disabilities in the workplaces. So what are some practical steps that folks listening can take to their union, to their employer, their communities that would make a real difference for people with hidden disabilities?
2: If if they they are active, if they are reps, union shop stewards, they can attend meetings with people that have got invisible disabilities. They can request information relevant to your case or your job role. Uh, that the employer must provide, they can represent you at meetings if you choose and therefore have uh, speaking rights, they can make sure that your employer is using the correct policy or procedure, these are all things that activists can do for people that have hidden disabilities. They can they can raise workplace issues and that have implications on other staff, They can have a right to consultation and can affect workplace policies and procedures so that these documents can vigour and continue to be improved. And they have much more knowledge and experience dealing with disabilities and cases where they support disabled staff than many personnel or HR officers and most managers. These people know more. And therefore, as as Angela Rayner said, she says um, I was when she was she was a unison rep before she, she 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 climbed where she was just now, and she said she used to get in meetings with directors and then heads of service, and she used to bone up on everything so that so that she wouldn't be embarrassed, so that she would know. And she found out 20 minutes into the meeting that the people didn't know what they were talking about. And she was the only person in the room that knew exactly what they were talking about as far as invisible or hidden disabilities go. So that's what we can do. Wrap it all up.
3: That brings me to the three words I was going to say. For everyone concerned, education, education, education because those people who need to be represented don't want to raise their head above the parapet. They don't have the confidence, they don't have the courage, and they feel they've got enough problems just getting through every day. So colleagues, work colleagues, managers, union reps, directors, family, they need to be educated about how hidden disabilities in the workplace can be tackled and can be seen as a prop and not a barrier. They need to know. Now, for, you know, there are wee people I work with, they don't even know who their union rep is, you know, the wee classroom assistant. In fact, that they, they find it quite hard. But activism also means making... The union reps or the unions, because not every union rep's got that much time, making themselves known, welcoming their members and and educating them. We can do this for you. We're all in this together. We want this business to work. We want profits. We want us to have a good income. We want us to have a good feeling about what we've achieved. And the way it can be done best is if we all support each other.
0: And that's what I feel summing up is education, education, education. That's great. You've both given some really good practical steps on how to help. Helen, you spoke recently at the Disabled Workers Committee conference about long COVID. And would you say is long COVID considered a hidden disability? I think that's what we're fighting for it to be
3: considered at the moment. I really think it's going to have to be because, if nothing else, this weekend's developments prove that it's not going away. And I know my union is fighting for it to become a recognised disability.
2: Yeah, I'm I'm part of the STUC COVID team that we meet the the, the minister every. Every month, I believe it is, when Julie can't make it, Julie's a chair, um, I go in her place. And of course, we, we hammer home absolutely every opportunity we get, uh, every opportunity that Rose Foyer or, or Dave Moxon gives us for making sure that people with disabilities, hidden disabilities, as long COVID can sometimes look like, are at the fore. Um, and we're no shy in, in going forward when uh, we're allowed to speak to the minister. So, uh, and also we have to look at equality impact assessments that that's happening with uh, the Fair Work Convention that's that, that, that's happening with um, just transition. We have to make sure that they are there at the onset of this. And they are looked at quality impact assessments for people with disabilities and all the equality, other quality strands, but especially with, with, with people with disabilities, we have to make sure that quality impact assessments are there at the start of any of these government, Scottish government um, areas.
3: In fact, if I could just add a wee point, one of the reasons we put that motion forward was because we are fighting for it, and we wanted the support of the STUC. We have got it.
1: Well, listen, thank you so much to both of you for, for speaking to us today. I feel like I've learned a lot and it's been really just interesting having this discussion around hidden disabilities. Um, so thank you so much for both coming along to speak to us.
0: Yeah, I know you're both really busy, so it's really appreciated. Thank you.
1: UK Disability History Month is an annual event creating a platform to focus on the history of our struggle for equality and human rights. To find out more, visit www ukdhm.org
0: Thanks for listening. This episode was hosted by Karina Liptrot and Ewan McLaren. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and follow us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. Our username is at Scottish TUC.